Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Hayden Swartz, Thursday Night Football, a little after 5 o'clock. We're here at Silver 7, 77 cent beers during the game. Bud, Bud Light, and McUltra bottles for 77 cents. You know, every day is happy hour here. That starts at 3 o'clock, 277 on uh, many of the beers, the well uh, drinks, and margaritas as well. Adam Candy is the company. We've got Ari back in the Finley Toyota Studios. Very busy, big five at four to get to. Let's do it. Battled Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Four, number five. You know, with a busy schedule now, Candy, we can't always do the traditional fat pack that we do at 430, but I found a good fat pack entry. How about this one? Another test of this staff's palates. And desire to experiment a little bit with new foods. Saw this tweet earlier. One of my favorite soups ever is a native dish of Thailand tom yum soup. I came home to find a big old pot of it in the kitchen because my uh, auntie figured out the recipe. Excuse me while I go and OD on it for the remainder of my life. Wow, how about that? Angel, remote tech angel. On the Tom Yum. Are you a Thai guy? Adam Candy. I'm glad you're starting with me first so that Ari can just disappoint all of us later. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, Tom Yum, Tom Kai. Uh, you, you can load up any one of those soups. Anything, you got that nice coconut milk base going uh, in those soups. Sounds absolutely delicious uh, to me. Um, I, I, I'm down for a trip to Lotus right now. Well, I don't know if he's bringing any of the soup in from, from his auntie. He's not going to bring it in for Ari because I can already see Ari as we have our little uh, video communication dealio here. Uh, you go as far as what? Chicken soup and matzo ball soup and then you're done? That's it? Uh, that's accurate. Yeah, French onion I would try. Really? I haven't really messed with that one. But <laughs> when I used to work, uh, where did, not Olive Garden, another place they had it that looked appetizing. Uh, maybe a cream of chicken, I guess, if I'm feeling Ah, the famous really Olive Garden exotic. French onion soup. Yeah. Oh, uh, actually, I, actually, they're pasta. Oh, it's my favorite. Uh, just, Unlimited Steve breadsticks appreci- and French onion soup. Steve will really appreciate this one. I like their pasta visual. I'm sure it's very authentic Italian food, but yes. It's It's fine. It wins the local poll in the paper every year. Must that must mean something? Yeah. Did you mean Lotus or Lotus? A different Lotus. Oh, did, did you, you actually did mean you notice how it could work both Russian? ways? Yeah, did you notice how I stopped? I did. Uh, that's funny. I'm I'm a stone's throw away right now at uh, Silver Sevens away from Lotus. I I, I didn't even are. think of that. All right, all right. So uh, so Ari, yes or no? On the soup, no. On Thai food, yes. Come on. I, not, I've literally sat next to Angel at a restaurant while he ate that. So, yes. I'm and down with the Thai food. You I never just, tried it. No way. Wait, Ari. Ari. Come on, coconut. Did you say coconut milk? Ari, if you just like pad thai, you don't get to say, oh, yeah, I'm good with Thai food. I don't like pad thai. But so what I, will you actually eat? I'm not an aficionado, so I don't know like exactly what constitutes Thai food. But like, Right, for, so you don't have a dish that you know you like, which means you're BSing your way through this whole thing. Got it. I'm just saying I will not turn down a Thai eatery. Such as the one that we went to, in which I had Mongolian beef and chicken mixture, actually. I don't know if that's a Thai dish, but 
There you go. Mongolian beef. It's on the menu. Mongolian beef. Is that a Thai dish? You hear what you said? Probably not. <laughs> but Mongolian I'm just you, beef. Yes, I get it. I'm just explaining to you that, yes, I consume food in a Thai restaurant numerous times. So, You know what's funny? We all get to bag we, on me. We all really dislike Ari and his uh, lack of... You love it. His lack of taste. I think Candy hates you more than anyone else on the show. <laughs> he gets so infuriated because he, he's, 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 he's a restaurant guy. He, Just be honest. Just just tell us the truth, Ari. Cool, it's okay. It's okay to not like Thai food. It's okay to say, yeah, you know, I, I really can't get down with it. Instead of saying, well, you know, I like the Mongolian beef at the Thai place. I like the French onion soup at the Olive Garden. You know, like all these things are really good for me. Give me three dishes real quick that are Thai dishes, and I'll tell you yes or no real quick. Rapid fire, as Steve says. Rapid fire? Okay. Would you like some Pad Prick King? No. Would you like some Pad Thai? No. Nah. Would you like some Tom Yum? Oh, you suck. No. <laughs> point well <laughs> Point taken. All right, okay. I'm out. I'm out. On, on <laughs> we go to Mongolia, Ari. <laughs> All right. I tried. Number four. Candy, you got to tell us, now that the NHL is back in training camps, I saw the stories about Jack Eichel. He was much discussed by you know media, radio stations in town, talk shows, fans, that this could be a guy that – the Golden Knights could go after, but he's had injury issues, and really it comes down to injury disagreements. So what is happening here now with the Sabres, the NHL, and Eichel? Well, Golden Knights fans might be excited if I say that Jack Eichel is the former captain of the Buffalo Sabres, but of course he's still part of the Buffalo Sabres organization. They stripped him of his captaincy, which if you know hockey at all is a big effing deal. They stripped him of his captaincy after he failed his physical. And for those who have been following this situation, you know that Jack Eichel has some major back issues going on, and there is huge disagreement among Eichel's camp and among the Sabres as to how they should treat that. The Sabres want him to get surgery. Now, interesting that we know a lot about this, don't you think? Because the NHL is the place that pioneered the whole idea of we're not going to give you real information about injuries. We're just going to tell you it's an upper body injury, or a lower body injury. I mean, meanwhile, in the NFL, we're figuring out week to week, a guy is questionable with a foot, with a toe, with a groin, with a hamstring, but the NHL doesn't tell you anything, right? And when we've talked about it from a gambling perspective, we're like, wait a second, you own stock in sports books now. You need to be transparent about when players are hurt. And they're like, no, no, we're good. We're good with our policy as is. Um, right up until it benefits the Buffalo Sabres to make Jack Eichel look bad, to put all of his medical history out there on the table, right? Because the NHL loves to say that uh, that they're just fine with their policy as it is, but now the Sabres have a chance to try to win a PR war against Jack Eichel's camp, and they can lay out the fusion surgery that they want him to have on his back. They can lay out the fact that he's not agreeing with their medical opinions. Interesting how the worm turns here when it benefits the Buffalo Sabres to have all of a player's medical history out there. Number three. So around Golden Knights camp, we were talking earlier about, you know, some of the, the tweets and observations about Nolan Patrick. You know, we're all kind of looking for stories, narratives at the beginning of this thing as the uh, season is right around the corner. But hanging over the whole dang deal is Marc-Andre Fleury and Frank Zaravalli had a story today. Conversations, quotes from Fleury, his agent, and this ain't going away anytime soon. 
And in the battle between VGK management and Flurry and his management, you side with who? Who do you think is telling the truth? Because of what Marc-Andre Fleury has meant to this city, because of the place that the Golden Knights hold in this city, I think the Vogue's Golden Knights front office owed Marc-Andre Fleury a lot more than they gave him. So if you're asking me who I believe, who am I siding with, I still have no good reason to look at Marc-Andre Fleury's side of this situation and understand why he would be so hell-bent on trying to rewrite the narrative that he would be lying about this and that Alan Walsh would be lying about this. The article by Frank Saravalli today is a deep dive with Marc-Andre Fleury, and he, look, he was really, really open. Marc-Andre Fleury said, I thought I was going to retire in Vegas. The owner said it in the media last season, too. I know I don't have many years left to play, so I thought I could end up there living there after hockey. He also said, I was there from the start trying to help the team get going. You make a good connection with the players and the staff and the fans. I feel like I tried to create that environment at the rink or outside with fans and stuff. I'm glad I did. You know, it was one of the best experiences I've had in hockey. Look, Marc-Andre Fleury loved the fact that this organization gave him a second chance. When Pittsburgh was ready to give up on him, he helped direct himself to this team that was an expansion team that all of us, every one of us, thought was going to be awful from the jump. And they weren't. And Marc-Andre Fleury not only led them to a Stanley Cup final, he was a Vezina winner. So this team began for a variety of reasons with the heart of the city in its hands, and they did a great job with it. Everyone has loved the Golden Knights up until this point, but this is the dividing line. Yep. This is it right here. This is the moment when the Golden Knights organization becomes another team it becomes just like any other team out there because now you've taken all of that goodwill and you have peed it down your leg in the least responsible way possible you took the guy who was the most popular player not only in the history of the franchise not only in the history of this city outside of unlv but really to any one community anywhere which kelly mccrimmon acknowledged and just through some simple lack of common courtesy and communication you've taken all of that goodwill among your fans and you have thrown it away for what for salary cap relief for what you still want to build a statue outside the stadium to him cofield everybody else would like to have that too now he's in chicago for salary cap relief for literally nothing you terminated the contract of the guy you got in back for him this never had to happen the way that it did all right i want a statue I'm the only one in the market who said that. Um, I like Flurry. I think they should have chosen Flurry as the guy to go with for the next two or three years and spun off Leonard and gotten more back for Leonard. But that said, I am objective on this. I don't have a side. I'm not emotionally vested in this. Like I think some people, some media people, got way too worked up about you know choosing Leonard or Flurry. I, Candy, I still believe that. They informed him about as much as they needed to and that Flurry and Walsh are dragging this out way too much. And I'll tell you this. I think I truly believe if they had informed him to whatever level you think that they should have kept him in the loop, they would still complain about it because that's not that's not the root of the issue. It's not the root of the issue. It's the whole thing going back that you're going to be able to stay here forever and the Knights change their mind. Teams change their minds. There's a parting of the ways. Let's move on. But we know that's not going to happen because 
behind the scenes, his agent is still going to fan the flames. And, you know, as we've mentioned a million times, the narrative of this season is going to be just how successful the Golden Knights are without Flurry, just how good Robin Leonard is. And, frankly, anything short of a cup, people are going to be livid. And if all of that had happened, everything you just said, if all of that happened right after the bubble, then I think everyone could live with it. Because that was when the sword was literally out there. That is when the DeBoer sword was through Marc-Andre Fleury's back on Alan Walsh's social media. And that is when Marc-Andre Fleury's popularity had hit its bottom with everyone around here. And frankly, that bottom wasn't all that low. There were still a lot of people in this town who were on Marc-Andre Fleury's side, especially Golden Knights fans. So now he goes out there the next season, and in the minds of a lot of people, he plays through it. He goes out there and has the best possible year. He becomes the Vezina Trophy winner. He is at the absolute peak of his game. He's reestablished all of the goodwill that he can reestablish, and that's when the Golden Knights not only do what they did, but do it in the way that they did. And again, had you not staked everything on this guy as the face, then I can get behind the whole it's business idea. But the Golden Knights as an organization asked this city to buy into Marc-Andre Fleury as the face and the personality and the heartbeat of the organization. If that's what you're asking us to buy, then you got to treat him that way on the way out. Number two. By the way, real quick, injury update. You know, it's funny, about 45 minutes ago we were talking about USC football and recruiting and that they were being coy on their quarterback situation. Is it Jackson Dart? Is it Keaton Slovis? Well, Dart apparently now, like within 10 minutes when we discussed it, reports came out that he actually got surgery on a torn meniscus in the knee. So he's actually going to be out for a while. So that answers that question. And maybe that'll change my thoughts on taking Oregon State plus the points against USC. All right, let's get into a little football here. Uh, No Jacoby Brissett. We heard nice words from John Gruden a little while ago about Brissett that he's faced him in the past. I saw Eric Rowe, one of the safeties on the Dolphins, say uh, that, eh, you know, he's number two to Tua. But, you know, quote, he could easily be a starter somewhere else. And, they have full confidence in him. That's what you say as a teammate. Candy, could Jacoby Brissett easily be a starter elsewhere? I mean, we've seen it. Indianapolis no. gave us a look at it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. But yeah, keep going. Keep going. Yeah. I mean, 2019, Indianapolis gave us a look at it, and Jacoby right. Brissett was flat average. Right. What bad. Wasn't great. Uh, but Indianapolis took a look at that and said, yo, Phil Rivers, Get that conversion van and your nine kids on the way to Indianapolis just as quick as possible because we're going to need somebody else in here this year. Jacoby Brissett had the opportunity after Andrew Luck's sudden retirement. I don't think that means Jacoby Brissett can't start somewhere. I think there are quarterbacks in playing right now that Jacoby Brissett is better than. But that being said, Miami still decided that this is the way it wanted to go with Tua Tagovailoa as the starter. And I don't necessarily believe that Miami's offense is better off with Tua as the starter. I actually think the Raiders might not have gotten the best of this deal this week with wow. Jacoby Brissett because Tua has shown himself to be not only uh, conservative when he should be aggressive, but he's shown himself to be aggressive when he should be conservative at the same <laughs> time. I think Jacoby Brissett is going to have a smaller, more compact playbook, and I think that it's going to let Miami play the game it wants to play, which is defense and turnovers and try to keep it low scoring. Is that why it seems that some sharps are on Miami and why this line hasn't exploded beyond three and a half, four? I wonder if it was also baked in right from the start that we knew Tua was injured and there's a chance he wouldn't 
play, and I think that uh, you know it, it was there in the first place in the line, but it certainly hasn't been an explosion in this line, right? I mean, most places were sitting four before the news, and you know, four and a half is the biggest move I've seen so far. What are you going to do with it? Leave it alone. It's not a game I want any part of this week. Um, you know, the way Miami wants to play the game. I think is something that encourages a lot of potential variance within the game, trying to go after turnovers, trying to play based on defense. The, the only way I would even think about getting involved is on under, but I, I'm not going to play it. And again, to my point about the number not moving a whole lot since the announcement, uh, 73% of the tickets and 80% of the cash on the Raiders, and it's still sitting at four. Top story. Number one. All right, I'll say it. They – should win this game. They better win this game. Do they have to win the game? No. But, you know, looking at the schedule down the road, Candy, there are some teams that I thought, hmm, those are winnable games. Well, things are changing. Uh, you get out to a 2-0 start. You got the backup quarterback. You got a team that is limping around after getting just obliterated by the Bills. You need to win the game. And I'm thinking if this team can deal with prosperity – that they do have a chance, a chance to start out 5-1. and one. And I guess a lot of that depends on what you think of the Broncos. What do you think through six games as you look ahead on the schedule? Uh, if you make me guess at them right now, um, look, the Raiders have not been great in spots where they should win yep. since we knew they were coming to Vegas. Um, that being said, Miami is a team you have to beat. Uh, without question, you have to beat the Miami Dolphins. And in week five with the Chicago Bears coming in, Assuming Justin Fields does not become the second coming in the next three weeks, then that's a game you have to win also. Uh, at the Chargers, that's challenging on Monday night. At the Broncos, um, you said it depends on what you think of the Broncos. You know what I think of the Broncos. The Broncos are a playoff team. So I think a a 4-2 and two start for this Raiders team would be something that you can hang your hat on and feel like getting into the back half of the schedule, you're in a pretty good place. That being said, uh, you do look a little farther ahead you have a couple of cream puff games with the Giants and the Bengals in there, but it's going to get a little nasty starting with the trip to Dallas and then home Washington, Kansas City, in Kansas City, at Cleveland, Denver, at Indy, and the Chargers. Like, it's going to get rough in the back half of the season, so the Raiders need to bank up some wins on the first half. It's the Big Five at Four. Brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. 570-9000. If there's one play that sums up the New York Jets, this one has to be it. This Patriot's winning off the edge. This Jets lineman is probably holding. There's a Patriot charging up the middle at Zach with no blocking at all. This Jets dude is being pancaked on the ground. You have these two idiots staring at each other like, yo, what are we doing? I don't know. Let's just stand here. We have 78 touching his own lineman. On top of that, we have two receivers with zero separation. And the cherry on top has to be Zach Wilson throwing this pick. And Corey Davis has no hops. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook yeah. inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield yeah. and Company. Yeah, better than the Skins, better than the Giants, better than the Fins, the Steelers, and Lions, better than the Pats and those Bolts of Lightning, yeah. the best in the league, screen checks with excitement, better than the Packers, better than Peyton, better than the Boys, the Saints, and the Ravens, better than the Eagles, the Falcons, and Vikings, the best in the league, screen checks with excitement. Show the Jets are the best. I tell you, thank God. Candy, that we do the late night podcast on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays because I get to organically react to stuff that I do not want to be sideswiped with at times on live terrestrial radio. We were on last night, and I 
first got a look at Jets Kid and his tape breakdown and the expletives at him started flying. Once again, Steve Cofield after hours yelling at children. Yes. That kid can shove it. Up yours, buddy. You sure that that's not 12. a member of the Cofield family? That, that kid doesn't old. live somewhere in Jersey? Well, let, let's truth be told, I was a little bit jealous because I feel like I could have done that when I was like 16 and, yeah. and about and about, we, about six years into my Jet fandom and already incredibly frustrated. Right, and you would have just replaced Zach Wilson with Kenny O'Brien. Like, and Al Toon's got no hops. Oh, I would have never said that. I would have never said that. It and Wesley Walker. My Wesley anger, Walker plays like he's only got one eye. Well, I mean, that's a cheap shot now. Um, <laughs> my ire may have been directed more strongly at, like, because I loved Ken O'Brien. For the three years, he was good. Uh, Boomer might have gotten it. But somewhere in the midst of that, I could have broken down some film of uh, Johnny Lamb Jones or not Michael Vick. Was it was it Roger Vick? Was he the, uh, the fullback out of Texas A&M who was just horrendous? They had so many bad picks over the years. So I, I, if that kid's really a Jets fan, I get his pain. I have a feeling he's not a Jets fan. He's just a Jets ball buster. That's like Roger Clinton, like Bill Clinton's brother. Like, oh, Michael Vick this is a Roger Vick. We're connecting with the audience where they really feel it. Old Jets fullbacks, teams they haven't thought about in five really years. A, a guy they've never heard of. No. Yeah. Oh, God. No, no, no. Like, like that Wesley Walker joke landed with like three people. Oh, I know. And then I had to go even more hardcore, more hardcore down yeah. the, uh, the the Jets rabbit hole. Yeah, Roger Vick, uh, Texas A&M, now 57 years old, and some ass hat in Vegas is still busting his chops that he was a first-round pick. Number 21 pick. In 1987. Ugh. Mark Gastineau, look at your hair. How can you wear your hair like that? Oh, you would have never heard that from me. Now, I got I got very freaked out by Mark Gastineau later in life. I think I've told the story before that uh, the sports pig, my old partner had a, a, a gift for gab and a gift for partying. And for some reason, we were at the All-Star Cafe. Well, I know why we were there. But we were doing live shows at the All-Star Cafe, and Mark Gastineau was around and took a liking to the pig. And the show ends, and he's like, we're going to go hang out with Mark Gastineau. And this is like Gastineau when he's just spiraling out of control. And I'm like, we're not. I don't want my image of the New York Sack Exchange ruined, you know, by having to freaking carry Mark Gastineau home. I'm so upset that we're on terrestrial radio because, <laughs> like, six things that I just thought I can't I say. Oh, uh, believe uh, me. Believe me, the carry, the carry Mark Gastineau home is absurd. I couldn't do that, but there were, f- like, five more things I was going to say I'd have to do or watch him do that I, that, nope. that I was like, I better not say uh, that. No, no, no. I've just got, like, a Pete Canseco bender in my mind right now. <laughs> so awesome. Oh, uh, God. All right, good news locally. Uh, UNLV has uh, Kevin Kruger's first high school recruit uh, for this coming class, 2022. They've got a kid named Kyron Lindsay to commit, uh, a bunch of big schools uh, that he was looking into. He's from Denton, Texas. He's a four-star. I looked at one list. He's number 102 recruit in the country, 6'8", 205. So Georgia, Tennessee, Arkansas, Texas A&M, TCU, they were on him. And they're going to be really strong on trying to recruit Texas with a couple of Texas guys, you know, Texas natives. Um on the staff, and this kid was actually at the UNLV football game. 
over the weekend. So he came in this weekend for a visit. All the uh, the current Rebels were out there throwing the football around, and uh, Kyron Lindsey, the commit they just got a couple of days later, he actually was at the UNLV Iowa State game, which, you know, the game wasn't very good, but the pregame show and the, the, the noise in the stadium, I'm sure he was uh, wowed by that. So, again, Allegiant, you know, you'd like to see UNLV football start winning sooner than later, but Allegiant can be a recruiting tool not only for the football program but for the men's basketball program. Hey, look, I know Tyler Bischoff doesn't want to hear it. He's argued with me about this on the morning show before, but I do believe exactly what you're saying, that there is an atmosphere that you can create at Allegiant that can affect recruiting, not just for football, but for basketball too, because there was, let's be honest here, not a lot that was impressive about taking a recruit out to Sam Boyd Stadium and trying to impress them with the atmosphere out in the dirt parking lot. You know, I don't know on, like, on the record. I'd have to I – don't, I don't – did they ever do that? <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, I mean, I used to keep track, you know, in, in my short time doing uh, sidelines, I would try to keep track of the football visitors. Maybe they snuck one in and there was, you know, a 6'7 kid who I thought was a tight end who was a basketball visitor. Um I think I saw TJ out there a couple times, Otzelberger, but I don't remember him bringing a recruit. Maybe they did, but, I mean, your point is valid. You know, the, the grand old lady on the east side, Sam Boyd, I guess it's not a lady, but Sam Boyd. Um, yeah, not quite the, the same recruiting tool as the Al. I, I always think of Samstown as the grand old lady on the east side. <laughs> I love You know, I love it. Ah, oh, I almost got creepy there. I was like, it was my first lady when I moved here. Forever, my lady. I used to go bed parlays on the east side on Boulder Highway. Watch the game at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s and grab your 77-cent Bud Light bottles. I just like execution. We were good on third down last year. We were good in the two-minute drill. We did some good things scoring the football. We still have plenty of areas to clean up. But, yeah, I mean, short yardage conversion or a goal line conversion or a long big play, you, you have to get excited about something. There's enough negativity out there to, to kill any rat right now. So, you, you know, I do get excited when we make a good play, especially a big play, an explosive game. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Listen, John, you know, we can't control the guys who are at practice, right, Candy, with their negativity. Those reporters, man, they are brutal. What are you going to do? Brutal. Yeah. The uh, beat guys never let up. Our, uh, our guy on Raider Nation Radio from 4 to 6, Vinny Bonsignor. And here we go. Uh, Jonathan Abram tweaked his lower leg at Raiders practice, was taken – uh, by the staff to the uh, trainer's room. That was at 10.57 this morning. I looked at the updated injury report, and it said Abram, I think it said full participant. So I assume, have you seen anything else, any updates on Johnny Abram? Nope, full participant, uh, along with Yannick Ngakwe, who has been dealing with the hamstring injury they suffered in week one. So uh, still no Josh Jacobs, uh, still no Richie Incognito, although Jacobs was out there. I do find it funny when Las Vegas – base coaches are like man a lot of negativity mm. like wait what yeah in this market you are a giants fan we are both from the northeast the giants media is so waiting for a misstep I mean, they already had a misstep by the giants with the jumping off sides by dexter lawrence and blowing a game but they're so waiting on joe judge to screw things up kenny galladay gave them the red meat that they need by yelling at someone on the sideline. What did you think of Kenny G going off on Jason Garrett? This is a tough one for me because I I have two of my favorite Giants characters pitted against each other. Overmatched coach 
versus bust free agent signing. And these are two characters that I have had so much time to get to know over the years as a Giants fan that I'm not really sure where I have to go with this. I think in the end I probably have to side with Kenny Galladay. Despite the fact that he's done absolutely nothing as a Giant so far, um, Jason Garrett has actively worked against the Giants both as the Cowboys coach and as the Giants offensive coordinator. And so anybody who wants to go out there after Jason Garrett, sort of like the enemy of my enemy is my friend, I think that's probably where I have to fall. So go get him. Go get Jason Garrett. Overmatched coach against overpriced free agent. Now I want to go on the Wayback Machine with the Giants and, and figure out who maybe the overpriced free agent was on the Giants team that was coached by Ray Hanley as we continue to go in that in that Wayback Machine. And, oh, wow. You're, you're yeah. going back to the days – that was like right pre-glory days, too. That's the fun part. Uh, Ray, Ray Hanley. Ray Hanley before we got into uh, you know the era of Parcells and Fossil and uh, Dan Reeves. and Yeah, I'll just keep naming guys who are not Roger Vick so that our audience can uh, relate. Inactive tonight for the Texans. Going a completely different direction. Thursday night football. Uh, Deshaun Watson, which, I mean, I get what's going on, but I still don't get it. This is It's absurd. Make a ruling on the guy. Otherwise, freaking play him. Um, inactives. Deshaun Watson, Justin Reed, Terrence Mitchell, Jordan Jenkins, Danny Amendola. It seems like almost all the receivers are out aside from Brandon Cooks. And also uh, hometown hero Brevin Jordan, inactive. Um, I just saw a national media type who's just gotten into gambling, so, you know, buyer beware, um, say that their best bet is the Panthers tonight, minus eight. Would you go? Okay, best bet is we're talking about, you know, the line. Um, like, if you're in a survivor pool, maybe I'm going with the Panthers. I don't know that I'm making a minus eight favorite my best bet. All right, look. Here we go. Just think about this in general terms. Here we go. Betting road favorites in the NFL, right. not a great idea. Right. Betting road favorites of more than a touchdown in the NFL, an even worse idea. Betting a Carolina team that had a win total, I believe, hanging, what, six and a half seven uh for this season on the road by more than a touchdown against a texans team that has proven better than we thought and it's not all tarod taylor um doesn't seem to be a long-term profitable strategy you know it's not a profitable strategy just betting against people that you think don't know what they're talking about so because that doesn't always work but i'd I'd actually while you were breaking that betting scenario down i did just put money on the texans so i'll probably get slaughtered now but it'll give me something to cheer for how about that? Yeah, yeah I decided to play it. <laughs> it's not wise. Yeah, I mean, look, I've got a couple of props uh, going on this thing. Uh, I don't think they're going to let Davis Mills throw the ball enough for him to throw an interception. I've got Davis Mills no interception at uh, plus 150. And I've got Christian McCaffrey under on receiving yards at under 55 and a half because I don't really think they're going to have to use him in the receiving game that much today. Let's break down the big games on the college board, even some of the games that aren't that big. We can bet on all of them. Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com and his Thursday spot on Cofield and Company. 77 cent Bud Light bottles. Silver 7's Hotel and Casino has you hooked up. Company's eye on sports betting with Brad Powers. All right, let's do it. College football breakdown, Thursday night football look. Our guy Brad Powers is up with us. Brad, how you doing, buddy? Doing all right. How are you guys doing today? 
Uh, we're good. Before we do any of that, uh, I did notice that um, you were on Eastern Washington last week, huh, buddy? <laughs> yeah, nothing oh like uh, you know being up thirty uh, some points at halftime, and you know not covering a, a you know point spread where you're laying single digits. So yeah, that one was fun to say the least. What a freaking nightmare! All right, give me your take on Thursday night football before we get to the college slate. Are you going to do anything with the uh, the side or the total? I tease Carolina. I mean, I think there's so many teaser opportunities. I mean, that could go really good or, or really bad. I know the books are probably pregnant, but, uh, you know, a short week, I just don't feel like laying eight with Carolina. But how can you not tease him down through seven and three against a guy making his first start? So, I mean, Carolina, you know, teaser uh, to start off your week uh, is the way to go in my life. What did you think was the strongest tease partner? I mean, there's a bunch of them. I, you know, personally, I teased uh, Carolina with Buffalo. Uh, you know, Buffalo, Minnesota, Baltimore, I mean, Arizona. I mean, there's so many teaser opportunities this week. But my three favorite would be Carolina, Buffalo, and teasing Minnesota up uh, through, you know, the three and seven. All right. Uh, let's get to the college slate. Uh, you had a real interesting number about um, – well, you explain it. The money line in Notre Dame games, and I just screwed it all up. But Notre Dame's playing Wisconsin this weekend. Notre Dame's on the wrong side of this one. They're plus six and a half. What's the Notre Dame history with money lines? Yeah, so you just bet the favorite on the money line in Notre Dame games. The last 40 Notre Dame games. So we're talking, you know, that's a big sample size. You're 39-1. So when Notre Dame's a favorite, they win. Uh, you know, they win the game straight up. Uh, when they're an underdog, they lose. They, they, you know, with the one exception being beating Clemson last year. And, you know, 39-1 ain't too bad on the money line. You're looking at minus two twenty-five on Wisconsin. I laid it with Wisconsin. You did. The point spread. I just, I think it's a bad matchup for the Irish. Why? Well, I mean, we started the line of scrimmage. The Notre Dame's offensive line's allowed fourteen sacks. I mean, it's not like they've been playing eighty-five Bears three consecutive weeks. I mean, they played Florida State, Toledo, and Purdue. I mean, <laughs> all three of those much weaker defensive front seven than what Wisconsin has. On top of it, I just think Wisconsin's a little undervalued. Why? Because they turned it over a couple times in the red zone against Penn State. I mean, they punch it in late at the end. They beat Penn State. I think we're talking about Wisconsin being possibly the you know the best team in the Big Ten, and not you know Penn State, Iowa, Michigan, and all these teams getting all the publicity. Uh, Arkansas in a key game here, upstart program, cover machine with Sam Pittman against a. Uh, Texas A&M, and uh, A&M's laying five, four and a half. Well, I, I think you're starting to pay a premium on Arkansas. So hear me out for just a second. Two weeks ago, Texas is at Arkansas. Texas was a six-point favorite in Arkansas. In fact, some places, I mean, higher than that uh, throughout the course of the week. I get it. Arkansas usually won and covered. They were clearly the right side against Texas. But here's my point. A&M is a much better team than Texas. And the Aggies are laying less points against Arkansas. It's not on the road. It's a neutral site. So, to me, that says that Arkansas, in my opinion, has been upgraded a little too much. Therefore, I like A&M. Brad Powers, bradpowersports.com, at bradpowers7 on Twitter. A couple of Big Ten games. How good is Michigan State? I mean, against Miami, and maybe Miami just really stinks. Uh, they, They beat the hell out of them. They're laying five against Nebraska. Did you like what you saw in Nebraska against Oklahoma? Oh, I did. In fact, I like what I've seen from Nebraska the last three weeks. I'm going to throw them in the trash because they lost you know, that isolated game against Illinois. Nobody's watching it because, I mean, everybody's watching it because it's week zero and that's the only game on, and everybody threw Nebraska in the trash, and the reality is they've covered three straight. 
I mean, for me now, Michigan State, you know, playing a little bit with a chip on their shoulder, playing in that underdog role, beating Northwestern, beating Miami outright. Now they got to play with expectation. I lean, don't like it, but lean Nebraska here. Rutgers, Michigan. Michigan, 21. Wow. I mean, I want to play on both teams. They're both 3-0 and against the number. They're both in covering. I mean, the number one and number two teams in the country as far as cover margin. Uh, a sharp betting group has been all over Michigan this week, pushing it up. I'm not. I'll take, the, you know, your boys uh, from Jersey. I'll take 21 right now, I think, is a bit steep, and I'll take Rutgers, who hasn't had a single bad performance since Shiano's taken over the last couple of years. Let's do it. Throw downfield, Noah Vedral. Throw that looping pass downfield. Uh, Florida, <laughs> you get an emotional moral victory. Uh, will they have an emotional letdown? It's another rival in Tennessee, but the Gators are laying 18 and a half. I bet Tennessee on the openers plus 21 and a half still lean that way. I, I, you know, I think you broke it down. I think a little bit of a letdown for Florida here. I mean, that was a very physical game, and kudos to them. I mean, I've never been more impressed though, with a team in a loss, at least this season and what Florida did to Alabama in the final three quarters of that game. So, I mean, obviously upgraded Florida, but this just isn't a great spot for them. I'll take the big dog here, Tennessee, lean, also lean under here. Does Saban bounce back and just freaking whack Southern Miss land 45? Oh, wow, 45 is a lot, but I would lean uh, with the tide there. So how do you attack it? Uh, I mean, you expect Alabama to play much better. Forty, If you don't want to lay 45 points, Looks like, you know, first half. Well, the reality is they're laying 29 in the first half. So, looks like everybody's on top of that. So, I think over 34 and a half first half sounds good to me. Uh, if Southern Miss can maybe score in the first half, I think you got an awesome bet there. So, over 34 and a half would be my preference. I'm going to lob you a softball to uh, smack it out of the park because I think I know the answer on this one. The audience should listen closely. We were just talking teasers. So, say I want to get Vandy plus 41 against Georgia and Akron plus 55 against Ohio State. Should I work two-team teasers in college football? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like how you set that up. Never, ever, 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 ever tease college football. You just don't do it. There's too much fairness. Uh, this is actually a competitive game. Kansas State was impressive. Like I think Reno's still pretty good, but, man, they smacked him in the mouth. Oklahoma State competition so far. Well, they did beat Boise. Uh, Oklahoma State five and a half against K-State. I like Kansas State. My favorite bet I made all week was them plus nine on the openers. You know, this is how much I like it. I would still, you know, I wouldn't make a big bet, but I would still, even after a three-and-a-half point move through the key number of seven, I'd still take Kansas State here. They've just been the more impressive team. Look what they did in Stanford. Look what they did in Nevada. I mean, Oklahoma State's 3-0, and but, I mean, they got three close wins. Very fortunate to be 3-0. and Could easily be 0-3 or 1-2. and So, the better team here getting the points, uh, you know, maybe sprinkle a little bit of Kansas State money line. Do you hesitate to bet Louisville minus one and a half at Florida? Uh, I do a little bit. I mean, the line screams fishy, but sometimes the market just gets too cute. The reality is Florida State's a losing football program. It's been that way now four or five years. Uh, I mean, and not just, you know, I mean, they're, they're like almost 10 games under 500 in that span. Uh, if, if Cunningham's completely healthy for Louisville and can run around, I think the Cardinals, I mean, maybe it's just call me square, but I think they win. They go down there and hand Florida State to 0-4 start to the season. I want to take Oregon State plus 11 against USC. We just found out 45 minutes ago, no Jackson Dart in the quarterback mix. He's going to be out a little while after knee surgery. What do you think, uh, SC minus 11? 
Oh, man, I mean, it's funny. Nobody likes Keaton Slovis. <laughs> I mean, oh, dang, Jackson Dart can't play. they got to play right, Keaton right, Slovis. Right, right, right. Yeah, I kind of predicted that. A couple of people I talked to in the offseason, I said that Dart kid's going to end up being better, but that shame he's banged up. I mean, my number's like SC, believe it or not, but it, this is the type of game where they look so impressive that final three quarters against Washington State, this type of game that you may turn right around and lose the game outright to Oregon State. It's just... A game, even though my ratings really like SC here, I didn't play it. They're too high variance. Brad Powers with us breaking down college football on a Thursday. Cofield and company, we're getting ready for Thursday night NFL, 77-cent Bud Light, Bud, and Mick Ultras during the game. And that's all NFL games. All right, weird situations going on right now at Washington State. They can't cover. They can't win. Uh, you know, the latter two-thirds of that game last week was ridiculous. They're getting 15 against Utah, but, yeah, the Charlie Brewer thing. There's weird rumors around Kyle Whittingham. So you're going to lay 15? Yeah, I, I think the game's unbettable. I mean, it just and I don't say that very often. Usually I can find value and squeeze it out one way or the other, but I don't like the look from either team. I mean, both are 0-3 against the number. I mean, and they're both failing to cover by double digits on average per game. Uh, I Washington State's performance in the final three quarters against an interim coach, a backup quarterback, after being up 14 nothing in weather. I just, I mean, that's as bad as anybody I've seen all year. And Utah, you want to talk about the biz, uh, you know, one of the biggest puzzling, uh, you know, the, the, I would say just stats the entire year. The fact that Utah's getting outrushed and out sacked at the, and just outplayed at the line of scrimmage. I mean, Again, they've only played BYU and San Diego State and Weber State. I mean, they ain't playing Alabama. I'm stunned by that. Can't bet the game. Uh, last two. These are two schools that I was told, hey, automatic, automatic, they're going to make the college football playoff first. Oklahoma 17 against West Virginia. I made it 17. I, you know, it's not that I'm a fan of Oklahoma. I just, I'm not as high on West Virginia as the market. And I thought they were fortunate to not blow that big lead last week. I mean, Virginia Tech had three trips inside the West Virginia 10-yard line and ended up with zero points. So I think, uh, you know, be careful if you're looking to bet West Virginia. Oh, man, I wish I had Georgia Tech plus the 28 last week against Clemson. <laughs> Am I going to want North Carolina State plus 10 against Clemson? I love Clemson. I, I know I'm alone on an island here, but I just think the market's getting a little too cute. Uh, I mean, this one in the summer was Clemson 19. Uh, I mean, are, I mean, is that big of a downgrade for Clemson? NC State's beating a couple tomato cans, and when they had to step up, they lost at Mississippi State. I mean, the last I checked, Clemson still hasn't allowed a touchdown on defense. So, I mean, if their offense just shows some semblance of improvement, I think you got a really good bet on Clemson here, minus 10. Brad, awesome stuff as always. Good luck this weekend. We'll talk to you next Thursday. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks for having me on. BradPowerSports.com, at BradPowers7, and I say it all the time. He's one of the few guys who uh, makes the picks, bets the games, bets with real money, and will actually put his tickets up on Twitter. All right, Candy, let's wrap on this. Uh, I will not get a chance to talk to you tomorrow from Fresno. It'll be Willie and uh, Adam Hill in. All right, give me your gut feeling on the Rebels. Is the number still 30-and-a-half in this Friday night tilt against Fresno? Cofield, I made one play and one only on the opener when these numbers came out on Sunday morning. Rebels plus 32. It's already in pocket. Uh, I am actually with the market move here where UNLV has actually been bit down a couple of points. Look, um, I laid it with Iowa State, and I never felt badly about it. 
but I think we're just getting a little too quick on the hype train here with Fresno State to be laying 32. Nobody in the Mountain West should be a 32-point favorite over anyone else. Damn. Strong stuff. Strong stuff. Thanks to Silver Sevens for housing the show. Happy hour still going on. 277 drinks. Once the game starts, Bud, Bud Light, McUltra Bottles, just 77 cents. Tremendous restaurant here. Two great bars. William Hill Sportsbook across the way. Right here on ESPN Las Vegas, we got the Texans and the Panthers. Come on, let's, let's have Sam Darnold not have such a great game, please. <laughs> 